This episode is dedicated to the countless beautiful works of art in our closet right now. They take the form of scarves, and they were made by Sarah's mom, Danette Hofer. This is dedicated to the, literally, I'm sitting in my studio right now. Like an arm's length away from me is this framed, it's like an oval, and it's a framed cross stitch. And it was made for me when I was a kid by my Mima, Connie French. To every single freaking piece of clothing my mom, Beth Morgan, made for me growing up. Yeah, this episode is dedicated to every woman who's ever made something by hand that the world has labeled a craft, even though we all know damn well it's a work of art. Literally exactly two months ago to the day that I'm sitting here in my studio recording this, Sarah and I were celebrating her birthday together. We took the entire day off just to hang out, the two of us, for what ended up being the worst birthday either of us have experienced. You see, we'd just gotten word that her mom's health had taken a turn for the worse, and we were planning the next day to drive down to Iowa to be there with the family. But as for today, it was just the two of us with this thought looming over us like a cloud. I say, oh man, that sounds so cheesy and cliche to say like a cloud. And also, it seems too light. It doesn't seem, uh, it seems too abstract. It was more like a wet knit blanket that was soaked in water and then draped over us. We knew the worst thing for us would be to spend the entire day at home together alone in our apartment. And Sarah had heard of an art exhibit that was happening at the Swedish American Institute here in South Minneapolis. Side note, classic Sarah. She's got like the skill of having her hands on the pulse of the things that are going on in Minneapolis. This restaurant's opening up. I know this thing's happening. This artist has an exhibit. This but okay, let's go check that out. So we go to that, to the American Swedish Institute of Minneapolis, and this exhibit is called Lace Reimagined, and it's featuring this acclaimed visual artist named Amy Sands, who's best known for creating these one-of-a-kind paper works that integrate traditional and digital methods of printmaking. Instead of uh, me trying to sit here and describe and put into words uh, what her art looks like, and for reasons that we'll get into later on in this episode, uh, let's do this instead. There's a link to this episode specific webpage where you can see uh, examples of Amy's work that we got to see at this exhibit. By the way, on that page, I'm gonna have a bunch more information on Amy, uh, where you can find her online. Uh, hint, it's at www.amysands.com, but all that information and her upcoming exhibits that I'm gonna keep up to date, uh, you can find right there at the link in the description below this. But maybe you're like, man, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm feeling a little too lazy. Uh, maybe I'm doing dishes. Uh, to get a visual on what I'm talking about, just look at the logo for this specific episode. That piece of art is Amy's. So as we are meandering, taking our time, looking at the exhibit, we get to the end. There's this sign talking about Amy Sands, her artwork, and a little bit more information on her vision behind it all. It said that not only does Amy's work push the boundaries of what has been historically defined as a print, that she has been exploring this concept of craft and women's work in her art. This imagery that's sourced from textiles, uh, lace, dollies, it emerges as these paper abstractions that give homage to the history of women's role and craft 
and the cultural value of the two. And right below that was this quote by Amy that caught my eye where she said, craft is often illegitimately considered lowbrow when compared to fine art. I aim to conflate these notions by bringing the patterns of craft into prints. Crap, so there I am, I'm standing there uh, surrounded by this amazing artwork thinking about these labels we put on things. This calling something art and calling something else just a craft. And I can't help but think in this position about all the women in my life that have done things that are traditionally considered crafts, uh, but they have elevated that to the level of art. I find myself here thinking about Sarah's mom. And I think about the countless things we have in our lives that she has knit for us. We, I'm thinking about a blanket that, that lays on my bed every night. I'm thinking about the countless scarves we have that we pull out every winter. My life, as far back as I can remember, I've been surrounded by handmade art that the world labels craft. Suddenly, with all these thoughts flying through my head, the cloud uh, in my mind breaks and this beam of light, this beam of ah, curiosity, uh, just obsession over these questions in my mind uh, happen. I just for a moment have a break in the darkness of my day. Think about this artist, Amy Sands, and the things she's made. I can't help but wonder, how does she make this? What's her process? Does she do it alone? What are the specifics behind it? What's the difference between craft and art? Why are crafts considered lowbrow and art considered this thing worthy of museums? And what led Amy to view that differentiation as illegitimate? This word, conflate, to merge, combine. How is she doing that? Why is she doing that? I see that she's a professor of art. What are some of the roadblocks that she commonly sees with her new art students? And how does she help them overcome that? So I pulled out my phone, I took a picture of this sign to remind myself to reach out to Amy a few weeks later, once I started feeling like my head was above water. And that's why I did. I reached out and we decided to get together over coffee at one of my favorite coffee roasters in Minneapolis, Dogwood Coffee. We met at their coffee shop on Lake Street here in South Minneapolis. So grab a cappuccino, pull up a chair, and join me in a conversation with the incomparable Amy Sands. Give me your thoughts on this. I, when you're talking about uh, stuff being made in the home, women uh, uh, typically in the homes making these things, my mind went to beer. Really, I love beer. I love I love I drinking love it. I too. love smelling beer. <laughs> uh, but I remember years ago when um, I think it might have been when Sarah and I were in Ireland that we start. We were doing a trip through Ireland, and we started having conversations with people, and we saw a few exhibits. When I first started realizing for the first time in my life, okay, like right now, you think about beer. Who makes beer? Uh, like if you if you picture per the, the person that is making beer in the 20th century, it's a dude, probably a white dude. It's a, a guy, with, he probably has a beard, probably has tattoos, maybe flannel shirt. The outfit can change a little bit, but that is like typically the first thing that's going on. But historically, beer was made by women. It was brewed in the home. And that was the it was the woman's job. She was making beer was that was the same on the same level as making bread 
for the family because it's part of it. Yeah. Uh, And it's so, it's just so interesting how that gets lost. You're talking about your mom being a crafter. Uh, into well, crafts. In, what, into what would crafts, people, I should say. Into crafts, what like people I, I consider. I want to be careful how I'm <laughs> wording that if I'm totally, you know, trying to go against that. Yes. What is the difference between art and crafts? Like, a, do you have, have you figured out, have you come That's up with That's a loaded question. But I think, I think there are certain things that align with why people designate one thing is craft over another. I think traditionally craft has been something that is considered a skill or is um, following a template of some sort. Um, Whereas fine art is considered something more um, of the, you know, more aesthetic or has some more artistic merit of vision. Yes. Maybe there's, you know, more heart and soul put into it. Yes. And they have so many overlaps. Yes. And and it's hard to distinguish one wow. from another. L- let me redefine that question then because it is, <laughs> I, got, I went way too heady and like so like broad. In my mind, let me, yeah, let me pull it down to the emotional level where I exist all the time. When I, in my mind, when I think about what people would consider to be art mm-hmm. and what people would consider to be crafts, mm-hmm. I guess the first thing in my mind goes to how serious other people take it. Oh, you're just right, doing right, crafts. Right, right, This is art. You exactly. are someone. This should be an exhibit. This is worthy. This is worthy of an exhibit in a museum. Crafts, sure, I'm sure you're enjoying yourself. Uh, and I'm sure your family thinks it's nice, but why don't you go knit or crochet something for your family? That's something that belongs down here. Right, right. Do you remember ex- ever like a time where you experienced that attitude from somebody? Yeah, I think there are different aspects to that depending on what mm-hmm. age you're talking about with me because I think, you know... I didn't know any different when I was a young child. Yeah. I was just creating. It didn't, yes. I didn't have categories in my head, but those categories are taught. You know, my, my son had colored out of the lines, and his teacher gave him a low grade because he colored outside of the coloring lines. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. No. Yeah, wait, <laughs> That's so, okay. Yes. Uh, we're, this, so, is not, this is not hand-eye coordination yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so, art class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just, you know, this is okay to be creative uh, and thinking outside the box and um, and and really just responding and, and being... It's like we unlearn all this creativity the older we get. And we get we get more confined with these labels and, and aspects that tend to box us in. Yeah. You know, and I try not to approach my work that yeah. that way at all. I think I've somehow been able to free myself from that and maybe call more attention to it kind of like doing it intentionally to kind of yes. poke at the system a little bit now when you say intentionally intentionally like incorporating bring, craft yes. into my fine art yes. to conflate these notions that I think are ridiculous you know it's yes. like you these historical patterns the Bob and Lace book that I had uh, sourced yeah. in the ASI exhibit like a, a lot of those designs were taught and created and invented by her, herself. Yeah. Those weren't templates that she was following, <laughs> you know? 
and yeah. and it's like who's to say that these items of handwork aren't creative i mean if you look at patchwork quilts from the 1800s they're they have some really beautiful associations with abstract expressionism i get it like certain things yes. can definitely follow a template and definitely not expect to be in a major museum but i think there are also a lot of uh pieces, creative pieces, creative works often created by women that are wrongly classified as craft when they are actually designed fully on in their own mind and just just because they're fibers or something doesn't mean that it's lesser. Yes. Oh man, you saying that made me, it sparked something in me that thought Man, how much of when you start transitioning and people... First of all, I should say that... I'm going to say at the beginning when I did the intro of this. Anytime we say the word craft or fine art, both of those have uh, quotation marks around it. We're talking right. about what other people... Like the, socially, the social labels of this. Yes. But how I'm wondering how much of what we're talking about then is people saying well if you want to do this like say the fine art what people would consider the higher level worthy of being this having this title on it if you want to do this things like this are done like this here are the rules oh yeah right draw within the lines right people like us create art that like this and that looks like this and it sounds like you're like no, there, there's, there's no rules in art. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. there's there's all these you know, and throughout art history, labels have been created. Art movements and yeah. technique and process all have labels. And yes, maybe you can learn a certain process and a skill set, uh, but creativity is usually about breaking all those rules. You yeah. know, and and doing something more because you're inspired or it moves you to make something. It doesn't have to follow all these rules. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think there is just a lot of uh, work throughout women's history that started from the home because women were often in the home. And whether they're making um, lace for their clothing, the full costume, or uh, making lace to, to trade for couple potatoes I mean it's like and it's like so it's like they're sold for pennies on the dollar these un, this unpaid labor is just oh. it, it's mind-blowing to me and just how how it's just not appreciated and yes. and yet it it's like you know anything from your mother or your grandmother is made with so much heart and passion and care 100%. and hundred percent and, and and yet that's what they classify or is classified as fine art of the heart of, of the mind and or the vision, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's like, okay, I get it if it's just following a template and it's reproducible. And, yeah. But there's something more to it because often there were many works that cross over that line and mm. are inventive and are doing their own designs and patterns. And it's still, it's like... Still, even today in 2021, yeah. we still have a, a distinct separation between what is craft and what is fine art. And, and it's like, even though, you know, things seemingly 
are coming around a little bit, you know, about recognizing women's art, at least artwork is being starting to get noticed from going back in history, but um, we have a long ways to go. But I still don't think that the craft part of it, the women's place in the home and the, the creations that were made and often invented on their own are given as much merit as fine art. So when you, okay, you say that, oh man, that's so beautiful. When you say that, the, where, what, in what picture is painted in your mind that you see that happening most today in modern <sighs> times? Or is it just widespread everything? Or is there anything that comes to Gosh. your mind? You know, I think I can only speak from my own personal experience with what I've been doing in my own work and how I have connected and I I think again when I started sourcing some of um, these handmade items into my own fine art then all of a sudden it's getting noticed oh Amy this is great this is beautiful it looks like a mandala and it's like yes no actually it's just this doily that's laying right here that I redrew and put it on the wall yeah (laughs) totally yeah this has been around longer. Someone else made this. Yeah. This has been around yeah. you. You're just not seeing this. Yeah, it's like things are just blurred into the background. These domestic objects, domestic, you know, things that we just take for granted, I think. Oh, okay, lot. that's interesting. Man, I sat there at this art exhibit at the American Swedish Institute, and I saw prints, and I saw paper, and but behind this is talking about its gender equality. And it's never just what we're looking at and talking about. There's so much more. I want to talk about knitting and crocheting, like that, the typical, the things we were kind of talking about at the start of this conversation, something you typically see uh, women doing in the home, typically, at least in my, my no, think about my family. When I think about crocheting, I think about my grandma knit stuff. I've got a blanket. My mom kind of dabbled with it for a minute. Uh, my wife Sarah's mom mm-hmm. uh, and I and I have friends uh, that are friends that are that do it regularly and they're just they're it's art that they mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. And I remember ten years ago I was at a Starbucks getting work done. A guy walks in and he's like this motorcycle looking dude. He's got a massive gray beard, full leather, like he just stepped off a Harley and he's got a bag with him. He sits down, he orders a caramel frappuccino and sits down right next to me and he pulls out of his bag some yarn and starts knitting. And he starts doing it. And in my mind, it's like, oh, that is so cool to me. Just owning it. I love that. That is so cool. Um, But it is like a traditionally, I just think even with the labels, as a guy, I start doing that. So I I got got needles and yarn from my mother-in-law. Yep. And I brought them on tour with me and in the, in the van and in the bus, when I had downtime on the road trips, I would just sit in the back and I was just like, I was knitting this stuff. It's, it's a very strange world for me to live in sometimes because I am a tall white dude with tattoos who has grown up as like a, someone who did not fit in really ever to the, the quintessential, macho guy thing. I was never the most coordinated person in sports. I was always the artistic one. And so all these leanings, my favorite thing in uh, in school was the, uh, um, uh, like, home ec. I just crushed home ec. And when we started learning about how to sew and, like, learning how to dial in a sewing machine, 
uh, that I still do all the time now and like sew and like mend my own clothes. And then I find myself in this world now having conversations with badass people like you who, who are like, listen, these, uh, we need to bring awareness that these are traditionally things that women have done in the household. Uh, and not gotten credit for, or not, we just label it crass. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a guy, and, and but at the same time, I connect with that because I've I felt those feelings mm-hmm. t- doing things like that. Oh, that's that's cool. But then when it was time to really make the art and play the rock show, it's like okay now. But now we're gonna make that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's like the, that's an arts and crafts thing to do when I have a little time on my hands. But now it's to do the serious. Art, which is to step on stage making music, and I started recognizing. So you started to put your own categories on. Yourself. I started putting my own categories yeah. on myself. Yeah, I think it's true that wherever it is that you feel like you can be creative, uh, you should just embrace it and go yeah. for it. Because I think as soon as we start compartmentalizing, you know, this is this and this is that, it just kind of takes away from the fun of being a creative person and and I think there's there's so much truth to us putting our own labels on ourselves and do you think that's learned well, what do you think I liked I earlier do. you said yeah. your big thing as a teacher it sounded like is helping people to stay creative because you're born that way yeah yeah and it's yeah a lot out, it's like it's like we lose it the yeah. older we get <laughs> Totally. <laughs> the more we start yes. realizing there's rules to follow and start limiting. If our I want to be taken serious, if I yeah, want to be yeah, in yeah. that game, I got to yeah, play yeah. by these rules. Exactly. You're in this world when it comes to creativity being kind of squelched out of somebody. How much of your time is spent pulling pe- like pulling people out of the labels they put on uh, themselves? All the time, especially in the intro level courses. I mean that. It, it, it's so much more about talking and thinking through before you actually produce the work because it's just trying to lift some of those uh, barriers that we put on ourselves. It's like I literally go up to you know some of my students. It happens almost every semester, and I just like, okay, I'm gonna lift this off of you right now, and it's going over here. Yes. You know. What is? How, then, does that, how do you see that manifesting itself in your students? Like those, the things that you have to take off. What do you? How? Oh, what are things you see in what they're making? Perfection. Is perfection. It? Yeah. Ne- needing to be a photorealistic artist, like immediately, without really embracing, you know, the steps to help you untap some of the creativity and allowing yourself to be more free and not always thinking about what you're doing and just just drawing or whatever it is that you're what media you're working with you know how do you how do you take that off somebody like Uh, when you start seeing that well in my drawing class it's like uh first day exercise is taking um you know just a a pencil and just okay it's going to be a full body workout you're drawing from the shoulder not from your wrist Interesting. And, and they just have to repeat a line over and over again because most everybody wants to draw like this and be perfect. And yes. and, and actually, I do, I do a first day drawing with... The very first thing I do is set up a still life and then um, not give them any instruction at all. And and they draw. I said, okay, just, just, I'm going to give you a half an hour. Draw to the best of your ability. Here's what you got. Yeah. And then I take it. I don't say a word. I put it away till the end of the semester, and then I bring it back out again. 
and they're like, whoa. To see the difference. Totally different. So you don't right off the bat say, all right, now let's examine what you just oh, did. Oh, no. No, really? because often people are much too critical of themselves. And it, it, it's, like, it's so hard to, again, um, unravel all of these labels and expectations and just allow somebody to feel free. It's not every student that's enrolled in the class is necessarily an arts major. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're a nursing student or cybersecurity yeah. or something else. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're, they're just doing that for fun and relaxation. But they, they come in with all these expectations of themselves or what they think it's going to be or that they think it's going to be an easier class and then they find out they have to actually do a lot more Make investing in themselves and their thought process because i don't know art is about thinking i don't know about if, if you approach it the same way with music it's like for for me it's like you know everybody has a unique way to work and it's like if i write my name differently than you would write my name or the vice versa like i write your name differently and you know, I can put the same still life in front of the students, and it's like part of what what you're doing is it, it's your thought process down on paper. It's how you're seeing it, your unique vision, and what what is happening there. Oh, I, ha, has anybody ever cried in your class? Oh yes, because, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> because, and because, and I wonder because. Not because you're a taskmaster, I don't mean it that way, but when you're yeah. saying this and you're talking and you're so passionate about this, I wonder like, how much of what you're teaching and trying to pull up people is almost like therapy, yeah. like unlocking like permission yeah, like, right. to make mistakes. No one's ever given me permission before just to express right, right. myself with exactly. no rules. It's absolutely, and I think, you know, taking... Yeah. Students over to the cathedral, you know, in St. Paul, they're just overwhelmed with the complexity of it. And like, oh my gosh, just having to think about trying to draw something like that is sometimes overwhelming emotionally for people. Or, But yeah, I've had people, uh, I've had students all the time like, say, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Or oh. I didn't know that. Thank you. I guess I do need to give myself permission to do this. And it's, yes. it's like they didn't even see that or understand that so yeah, yeah it happens all the time especially in the intro level classes oh i'm because so, yeah. that's where the most barriers are you know yeah it's like yeah and you can teach technique and the yeah, motor yeah. skills to draw a straight line or right, I'm, right. I'm assuming uh but yeah half, so much of that has to be just teaching someone to express themselves and free with mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. okay you even said that someone saying like I never knew I had this within me and that kind of paints a picture to me thinking about this whole thought between considering something art and crafts in life I wonder how often that happens for someone that you know someone that's at home doing what we'd call a craft mm -hmm. and in being, I wouldn't wonder if that's a similar feeling of like oh, you consider this art? Like, something I've just been doing at home and no one's ever taken seriously. Like, people like it, and it's around the house, but, like, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. consider this. I, I'm projecting this, but I would, I would kind of feel like the reason I, I'm really interested in photography is that a camera, to me, teaches me to see the world without a camera. It changes how I see things, and I picture what you're doing with teaching people is by 
like teaching people how to see the world outside of when they're just making stuff too mm-hmm. like going to the cathedral and mm-hmm. looking at it for the first time mm-hmm. and I'm wondering I, I was wanted to bring back to a question with about you and your grandma I think it was stumbling on a, a doily of hers that she had made it was a great aunt that had made it for oh, me great aunt. Yeah, okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Doilies, is that what we would call them? Yeah, doilies. Yep, crocheted doilies. Were those and always around you then in yeah, your life? Or yeah, what, what did that yeah. look like when it, it comes to when you think about your childhood, seeing those? Yeah, Where I were they? They, you know, lace tablecloths, yeah. doilies. Um, my, my mother used to macrame. Like, these were all things as well as sewing, you know. Sewing was a big part of my life as a child. You know, I'd go pick out fabric and the pattern that I wanted to make of the clothes I wanted to wear. Not everything was handmade, but, you know, it was a fun project and things that we we did. And so it's like I had been working with a lot of patterns from the home and the textiles from the home. And then I just wanted to dive more into... um, the historical aspect and where did these patterns come from it's like okay somebody taught my great aunt somebody taught my mom somebody taught and it's like these were often skills that were taught you know through family heritage and I wanted to dive deeper which is why I went to Norway to do some more research and find out where some of these patterns originated from and said okay I, I did the Norway and then I was collecting information for that and then when I came back home, it's like, okay, what do I have access to at home here? And so that's when I proposed this exhibit to ASI, and uh, they were interested, and, and that's where... So then I was yeah. di- wanted to di- mine their collections and yes. see you know, some of the patterns, that the historical patterns of their collection, and use it to inspire me to make my own new designs to create pins, prints from. So paint me a picture, you're family members are bringing you things. At least when you started this, how did you translate that design to uh, this medium with uh, the paper? Was it was you tracing it well, or like scanning it? Some, or? Sometimes I'm working with a digital drawing of it, like working on my iPad, So, but it's still oh, by hand. Yeah. But sometimes I'm also placing the object directly on the screen. So like you have a photo emulsion on what? On the screen, and you can place the actual doily on it and get an impression of that. So it's photosensitive. So okay. it's a thin layer of photo emulsion, and I can expose like black and white or anything that covers the light uh, will open up whoa, when whoa, whoa. wash out. What? Yeah. This so like a so like badass. screen printing yes. a T-shirt. You okay. know, like if you have oh, text, like I'm you know, so your yeah. If you have text on a T-shirt, yeah. it's you have a transparency that you transfer it onto the screen, and then wherever the black ink in is blocks yes. out the light, and that part will open up and allow ink to pass through. Oh, so so what? then I'm never actually getting ink on the actual doily. It's actually just the, the image. The light. Of it. You're making these things that is art mm-hmm. out of things that it, in the past people would have considered you, the the women in your family just as crafts making. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of a sudden you're starting to, I'm assuming you're starting to see the things that your family and your like ancestors that came before you differently. Was there this time that said, oh, this all is art? Was Or was it so ingrained in you that there is no separation? This always has been art. And... I think in grad school, they didn't shy away from critique at all. Yeah. 
and they would rip on you like crazy. You get heckled for having any kind of decorative work, and this is in the mid early 90s, you know? And there was like, ooh, you know, ooh, that looks decorative, you know, and that, and it wasn't said in a nice way. It's like, oh, you're breaking the, you shouldn't be doing that. And it's it's so funny. I'm like, I remember just being really aggravated by that comment, and yeah. just, and it ate at me yeah. for many years. And it's it's funny because it's like I've been doing the same thing now. It's just now that it's it's okay to do it now. It's like now, now, now all, all of a sudden, sudden they're like, oh, publicly. I'm so glad that you're doing this, Amy. I'm so glad you're raising awareness on this. I'm like, okay, I've been doing it for a while, but it went from yes, back in the early 90s of, oh, you know, mm, that's kind of female, that's kind of decorative, that's, you know, now they're just, it's starting to come around. While you're saying that and you're describing being in school and and someone telling you, no, you, they, oh, you can't, or like this pushback or giving you rules on that, I can tell you, like, yeah. don't tell me. No, don't tell me what yeah. I can and can't make. What yeah. were you like as a uh, like a high schooler? Has this? Have, I, I I just get this like confidence of expression from you. Has that all? Is that like a just always been there thing? Like, don't I'm gonna make it's small I'm person make. syndrome? Is it? Is it? Because to me, I'm like, so, it, it's like I was always you. You had the opposite experience of being really tall. I was always really small. Like, yeah, I mean, tell me about that. Yeah, my yeah, I, I didn't grow for like three years, and my mom took me to the doctor and thought there was something wrong with me because yeah. you know, in sixth grade, it yeah. was up to my mom's chin. She was only five foot two. So, oh yeah. So I think, you know, I had to make all this big work to try to compensate for that, you know, and I had to make things that would wouldn't fit in my car and then I learned my lesson because you make work to fit your car <laughs> so that you can transport it um, is that a thing like the yeah. you do like oh, the yeah, dimensions of sure. your car to transport oh, yeah. and then the older you get oh it's like okay I don't have room to store this anymore yeah. so the irony of the whole thing is just this past October I won the largest prize of my life I won first prize in an international competition. So this uh, one was in Spain, and uh, it was for the smallest print I ever made. It was only two inches. What? <laughs> and I won the first prize. Oh. And it's like, what? It's like, it, it was just kind of like, huh. Yeah, what did that do? What did that do in your <laughs> Here, mind? In my I, head, I've always, you know, I had, again, this idea that I had to make statements in order to get noticed, and it's like... Yeah, because, you know, as a small female, and I was really shy, you know, growing up. I I was very shy, and so, but I wanted, I had the ambition and desire to do big things, but, but I was often written off because I'm small and I'm female, and, you know. Interesting. So I think that that has always kind of resonated or, or, sat within me yeah and 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 to keep pushing things and i could not relate to that less <laughs> <laughs> in the sense, no, and at the same time relate to that more in my own way in that ginormous i'm getting taken to doctors be like who is this kid nobody in our family is this tall is there something wrong? Is it the fluoride in the water? Have we made a mistake with radiation? <laughs> and I spent my entire life hunched over back issues, really? just trying to make myself oh. smaller and take up less Isn't space because it because I've spent my life running into things that hit my head. I'm surprised I haven't hit my head on something as we're talking <laughs> at this point. My first podcast was uh, sitting down with a buddy of mine, and we were having Belgian beers downtown, 
and I, I, at some point, I knocked over things, and it's, my life has been me bumping into things. Yeah. And for you, it's, it sounds like the opposite of like I deserve more space than my physical body is giving me right now. Yeah. How can something? Ex- I'm, I'm totally projecting, but I'm just getting the yeah, vibe of like yeah. making something. How can something external represent the bigness that's inside of me? Right, right. I think it's, that's true. I think it's like we all battle our own psyches on how the world perceives us. How are you hi- historically in your career with when you make something? Obviously, it connects with us in a certain way. We have our own opinions about it. But you make something; it's it's at maybe not maybe maybe nothing's ever done. But it's to the point you're like, I'm I'm going to stop working on this. Mm. How good are you at saying this is going to connect with people? There's certainly an audience component. I'm not thinking up front about audience, I guess I try to free my mind of thought, to be honest, and just act more intuitively when I'm working and get into the process of making Um, and just again taking some of those barriers that have been placed Mm -hmm. on us, the labels and the categories of what's right and wrong and just, it's hard to allow yourself because I think it does inhibit your creativity and I so I try to go into the studio with a an empty mind, I guess, and just really not allowing my thinking to interfere too much other than, you know, the color that I want to work with that day or um, taking it slowly. And I, I, like I started to say earlier, I work in multiple layers at a time. So I might have 30 prints, layer, 30 separate layers. I have no idea where they're going to go. And, and it's not till they dry a week later and then I start assembling things and maybe some will work oh no I want to bring some more I'm going to try doing some laser cut mix that with it oh no I guess I'm going to move that over here so it's like it's very playful I'm not you know I think a lot of artists start with an idea a concept and start with a plan and under sketch a painting you know whatever and then they're building from that and they know exactly where they're headed with it I'm not like that at all and I love the surprise element of it it's like it's a gift it's like each of these are gifts for me and I don't if I I would get so bored if I knew exactly where it was headed I don't know if it's like that for you with music it's like if you if you play around with things or or if you have like a you know idea of what kind of music you're trying to create or oh, does that tap into anything for you? It's funny you're asking that because for me I have a different experience because as a bass player the majority of my creative life has been creating with others and with that it comes brings its own baggage. I said I look at it like a playground. I'm, like the bass creating a playground for us all to play in on stage or in a song not necessarily a solo instrument but Mm -hmm. with that has come a lot of baggage because with that is this stuff in my mind that I have this and I know it's I've now learned to discover that it's wrong or maybe not wrong but it's unhelpful this mindset that goes my job is to try to figure out what everybody else thinks is cool and do that what's the best baseline for me to do like in this studio situation like I need to come up with something that other people will like is the temptation of my thinking in my mind because that's how you get asked to play again. That's how you get asked to record again, whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I spent a massive time of my life trying to guess what other people would think is cool. 
mm-hmm. and it never led me anywhere meaningful. The only I, so my life, my creative journey has been learning to quiet those noises out and listen to myself mm. and be in the moment and play, mm. like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Because I hit a point like five years ago, like I'm. It is boring. Like if I'm just trying to guess at what people like, and I know what I know what's expected of me, and I can just do the status quo. I'm not doing anything that's fulfilling me creatively. It, yeah, it's not. It takes the creativity it out. Totally of It totally does. So yeah. in my mind, I, I'm just picturing you. I've seen, it feels weird to say I'm just picturing you in a dark room. No, but I'm thinking <laughs> about. I'm picturing you in the dark room of your studio, right? Yeah. And you come in with intention of you brought in the materials of things you're going to work on, and for a reason, whatever. And then you want to almost like clear your mind or be present in it in the process right without judging the work in the middle of it what does that look like for you in your mind like how do you get Mm. how do you take like all that stuff and just be here present yeah and I think it changes from day to day and you know sometimes it, it just there's so many different factors that can play into being creative it's like what did you eat the night before? How much did you sleep well? Yeah. How tired are you? Yeah. Did something happen? Yes. You know, it's like all these things can affect our mental and emotional state. And how do you segue out of that to try to just be free and be present and be creative? Mm. You know, and that I think can be a huge obstacle uh, for a lot of people, including myself. You know, there's always times where it's harder, harder day in the studio. And then there's other days where things just happen. And, yeah. and you never know when, you know, when things are going to happen. And some prints, you know, may take me um, weeks and months, you know, maybe a year to create. And others happen within a week. So it's yeah. just, you just, I try not to look too hard at that um, and, and, and just keep making it rather than trying to make a winning work of art or or what I consider that it's like it's like allowing myself the freedom which isn't easy it's like allowing your giving yourself permission is probably the hardest part about it allowing yourself to just be free in your process and Mm. and make things and realize not everything's going to turn out exactly the way you were hoping it would but maybe out of that you'll edit it and you know I do the editing later so it's like well some just don't ever make it to the gallery you know those are just put on the back burner maybe I'll revisit it in a year or two years from now maybe I'll end up throwing them away so um, I think it's just for me it's just important to keep at it and like when I've exhausted like I did like I exhausted the things from my family heritage the objects that I was working with as inspiration it's like okay well well now what I've exhausted that now what and it's like well let's dive into it a little deeper let's dive into the history and let's start tapping into the museums and what's what can I learn more about that and um, so it's like for me it's just trying I think as an educator I'm constantly trying to learn more for myself so that it in turn comes back uh, for my students and what I'm teaching them and my, my practice as well as my process techniques, you know, yes. and, and I, I think that's the wonderful thing about being in education is it's like everything is always learning and growing.
Hey friends, before you go, I just wanted to share a couple thoughts with you. First of all, I'm recording this outro way too freaking early in the day. Can you can you hear it in my voice? Do I do I sound do I have that early morning manly voice? Maybe I should do all my maybe I should do all my podcasts like this. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, I tell you what though, I wouldn't be able to be recording this right now if it weren't for coffee. If you've been following along with this podcast, you know that I'm I'm kind of a junkie for making coffee at home. I mean, I don't know if I would, if I was given the choice, I don't know if I would rather drink coffee or make coffee. Like if I was given one of those ultimatums, the rest of your life, you're on a, you're on a desert island and you only have one option. You can drink coffee for the rest of your life or you can make it and never taste it again. This is so dumb, but it would be, that'd be actually be a genuinely hard question for me because I love, I love making coffee. I always travel uh, with a coffee kit that has like an AeroPress and a grinder and a scale and uh, this emulsion heater that I could just plug in the wall outlet and heat up water even while it's, all right, it's getting kind of absurd. But out of all the coffee stuff that I've nerded out with over the years, the one thing I never have tried before now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds kind of weird. But one thing I've never tried before is ordering coffee online and having it shipped to me. But that'll change this week. Uh, when I had some new friends reach out to me on Instagram, a company called 1378 Coffee Company, uh, and they're based out of California. They reached out to me on Instagram. They sent me a direct message and said, hey, we love what you're doing on the podcast. We love what you're doing here on social media. And we know that you're into coffee, posting about that. We are a boutique coffee roasting company out of Southern California. Is there any way you'd be willing for us to send you some coffee beans for you to try? Uh, we feel kind of uncomfortable about this because we don't want this to seem like we're trying to like use you or your audience. This isn't a request for a plug or a sponsorship. We just like what you're doing. We'd love for you to try our beans and uh, give us your feedback on them. It's like, Hell yes. Are you kidding me? So they sent them. They got here crazy fast. And really, honestly, it changed the game. But I think this opened up the world of ordering coffee beans online for me. Uh, I'm constantly thinking about this thought of buying local. And I think oftentimes I can uh, construe that in my mind with buy something with just my local, like in just my air around me. And I think that is true. And I think that's important. But I also think in the digital age, we can also buy local online. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that. Maybe that'll be a topic for a future podcast episode. But, uh, ma'am, yeah, 1378 Coffee Company. Uh, I genuinely interacting with them. I felt like I was buying local online. So they didn't request a plug, uh, but I just uh, thought I'd say a massive thank you to them for sending out some coffee and it's killer and it's waking me up. It's pretty much the only reason right now that I'm able to record this outro. I'm sipping on the Papua New Guinea beans right now, and they also sent some Columbia. I haven't checked those out yet, uh, but I'm excited to. If there's anything as good as this, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to love it. Uh, so if you want to check out 1378 Coffee Company, it's just at 1378coffeeco.co um, on Instagram or 1378coffeeco.com if you want to check them out. Also, massive, massive 
thank you to Amy Sands for making this conversation happen. And even more so than just her time, for her openness, her honesty, and just being completely and fully herself and present in the moments. Man, I enjoyed this so much. With this podcast, it is really important to me that these episodes are evergreen. This episode was recorded in July, right now. It's July 2021. Uh, it, it is early right now. I'm going to have to think what month. And I can't, it's not even, I can't even remember what day it is. Now it's so early in the morning. I'm thinking, what month is this? What year is this? need more of this Papua New Guinea. Anyways, my goal for this podcast is that if you are listening to this in 2031, if podcasts are still a thing, if the internet is still a thing, if we have not all uploaded our minds into the database into the of the internet by that point, if you're listening to this at that point, that this will still be relevant to you. Uh, and my guess is that Amy will be still kicking ass as a badass artist 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So Here's the deal. She has some upcoming exhibits. This weekend, she's going to be at the opening for High Point Center for Printmaking on Friday, July 30th. I mean, she's got some coming up in Japan, overseas. Uh, I have a ton of listeners that are not based in the United States. Uh, so I say check her out and just see if she's going to happen to be near you. A link to all this information is in the show notes below and get links to everything she's doing, news, updates, events, her social media, all of that is online at amysands.com. That's A-M-Y-S-A-N-D-S.com. Also, a massive thank you to Dogwood Coffee Company here in Minneapolis. That's where we recorded this conversation. They were so awesome. Uh, I mean, speaking of buying local, my, one of my favorite coffee shops and co- coffee roasters here in the Twin Cities is Dogwood Coffee Company. To check out the specific location where this episode was recorded, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash map, and there is a map of all the places that uh, these podcasts have been recorded, specifically even this one at Dogwood Coffee. <laughs> Dogwood Coffee, no Dogwood Coffee Company. Uh, that's the we recorded this one on the Lake Street uh, location in South Minneapolis. Holy crap! Okay, I'm gonna end it here. It's too early. I'm starting to mispronounce things even more than usual. Have a great West. <laughs> See, I can't even get through this. Have a great West Deal week, friends. Uh, and as always, stay curious. Mm-hmm.